All right. Well, I don't want... Oh, there's Vihia and Lin Yan. Good morning. Well, I wouldn't want to take much time for this introduction because I want to allow room for the message. But I have to say a few words. I've got just a brief uh, bio about Roy Lawson in the uh, bulletin this morning. Joy will be joining him in a few weeks. And uh, we have asked Roy and Joy to come as he's going to serve as our interim pastor. Uh, for the next, well, who knows, until we get our next pastor, Lord willing. And um, I'll still be around and supportive of Roy's ministry, but what a joy, what a privilege to have him come. As I've said before, he's one of my heroes in the faith and uh, just a leader of leaders. And I look forward to what we're going to be learning from Roy, our elders, our staff, and I think all of us. I know you're going to be blessed by his message. He told me he didn't want me to sit through all these messages, you know. Makes him nervous, he said, no, <laughs> not really. Um, but I am going to make my way to the Sunday schools and the high school group and just see the young people during this message. But uh, I promise you, you're going to be blessed by this message. So let's give Roy a Kaimuki Christian welcome. I want, I want Ron to stand up here for, for a moment because you may be wondering why. I was called to be your interim pastor, and I, I want you to know, I have one qualification, and it's obvious. It's the hairdo. Right. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I told you when I was here a few weeks ago, what an honor for me to, to be here. By the way, Ron, what time am I supposed to finish? <laughs> I see the clock, but I don't know what it means. 9.30. <clears throat> I had so many more things I was going to say. <laughs> but it is an honor, and I'm glad to be here, and we're going to have a good time working together. You've been in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to go there today, and we're going to go there next Sunday, and then I, I will start a, a different series. But let me read this for you. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 18. John's disciples, that would be John the Baptist. John's disciples told him about all these things, calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back, report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus' homeland is not a very big place. News traveled fast in his day, even without radio or television or Facebook or even without Twitter. Especially when the news was about a charismatic speaker, maybe a prophet, who's speaking to ever larger crowds of followers. There are even, there are even tales of miracles. Miracles always draw a crowd. Now John the Baptist had had his own crowd for some time, he had been conducting a popular ministry, preaching to people to repent of their sins and to be baptized so they could be forgiven. 
and he looked like a prophet, dressed in animal skins and subsisting on locusts and wild honey. He was a curiosity before he even opened his mouth. When he spoke, he impressed his audience with his boldness, his urgency, his concern for them, especially when he showed them a way to clean up their lives. Many people carry a load of regret, and many of those people responded to his promise of forgiveness. Well, they, they wanted to hear more from him when he promised forgiveness. So, so the crowds came to him in the Jordan River. He was the biggest news in town for a while. But then came Jesus. It would be easy to think of, of John's curiosity about Jesus as maybe a touch of, of jealousy. Here's this guy encroaching on my territory, drawing even bigger crowds. It would be easy to think that, but I don't really think that's the case. Remember when you were in the third chapter of Luke, Jesus was baptized by John when John was just getting started. Now, he was a, he was a powerful preacher, John was. He scolded the people. He called them a bunch of snakes, a brood of vipers. He challenged them to repent, and he let them know that they couldn't they couldn't get away with thinking they were special just because they were descendants of Abraham. He urged them on to a higher morality. He was so impressive that some people thought he was the Messiah. Jesus, uh, John didn't rise to that bait. It gave him his opportunity for more celebrity, for, for, for more uh, fame, but that was not what he was after. In fact, what he did was to tell them there's somebody greater coming, somebody who's so great that he wasn't even worthy to untie their sanders. He, he said, I, I baptize you with water, but the one who's coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, John's question didn't emerge out of professional envy. It was a genuine desire to know who this man was. At the time, John is in jail. And he's in, I told you he was a bold preacher. He's in jail because he even took on the king. The king was living with his brother's wife. John said, you, you cannot do that. It's not lawful for you to have her. And he scolded Herod, and Herod responded by putting him in jail. So, so John is really saying, I've, I've all along told my followers that one greater than I is coming after me. Are you that one? Or should we look for somebody else? I wonder what credentials they would have accepted, or he would have accepted, as proof that Jesus was who he thought. And we all tend to see what we are looking for. Psychologists talk about confirmation bias. That is, we already have made up our mind, and whenever any new evidence comes in, we, we either reject it or we manipulate it so that it fits our bias. Listen to the political shouting today. All the questions, listen to them. The answers, listen to them. The charges, the denials, the countercharges. You can quickly come to the conclusion that when, when everybody's shouting, nobody's listening. But they're all looking for proof of what they are already convinced of. So I'm wondering, what would convince John?
what John expected to hear. Uh, Jesus tells his messengers, if, if this is what you're looking for, then you found it. Interesting. Jesus doesn't quote the earlier prophecies to them to tell them that he fit the prophecies. He doesn't quote chapter and verse. He doesn't say, you, you, you read those descriptions of the Messiah in the, in the Old Testament. It wasn't called the Old Testament then. Do I fit? He didn't go that route at all. He doesn't even remind them of what happened when he was baptized. And, and there was this voice from heaven that says, this is my son, hear you him. Uh, he didn't bring that up to John. Now these, these are card-carrying Jews. They'd heard about the prophecies of the coming Messiah all their lives. So when John spoke, he was talking. He believed, that, uh, he was talking about the Messiah. They believed that. He sounded like he believed that. At this point in the history of Israel, Israel was under the occupation of Rome, and it wasn't a pleasant occupation. They were crying out for somebody to lead them to freedom. So this is a serious question. And what interests me is that Jesus' answer isn't philosophical. It isn't even religious. certainly wasn't political, as if he was trying to curry the favor of John and his disciples. It's simply practical. Look at what I've done, he says. Look who's benefiting from my ministry. If this is what you're looking for, the answer is yes. If it's not, I'm not your guy. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, this is who I am. You can know that by what I do. So, why did I select this passage for my first Sunday with you as your interim pastor? Well, it, one reason is because you're already in Luke and it was an easy thing to do, but that's not the real reason. It's because this is personal for me and I, I suspect it's personal for you. Because don't we, don't we ask, haven't we asked of Jesus, are you the one who is to come for me? Or should I look somewhere else? Now, this is my testimony. I'm here in this church, in this faith, because of Jesus. And that decision that I made has made all the difference in my life. It's, it's, it's not the only choice I had. There are many other gurus I could have followed, many other careers I could have followed, as was the case for you. I spent some time, I, I just met Dijon, who's from Nashville, Tennessee. Well, I spent two years in Nashville, Tennessee at Vanderbilt University completing my doctorate. I studied the poetry of Robert Browning. In the 19th century, Robert Browning was considered the leading philosophical, theological poet of England. And I studied him. I wrote a book about him. And then I did, by the way, that book, based on my dissertation, I, I simply asked the question in his poetry, when Robert Browning says God, what does he mean? And the answer is, not much. Now, it took a whole book to say that, of course, but, but it was the truth. And since I went through that study, I listen to everybody who talks about God. And in my mind is always the question, what does he mean? What does she mean? Well... I was kind of on a career trajectory, and I could, have, I could have been a professor of English, and I could have been an expert in Browning. And then one day I realized Browning wasn't big enough for me. 
I needed more. Now, people make this decision all the time. And there are many options. They could select the Buddha. Muhammad. Confucius. Elvis. Great theologian. Malcolm X. The list goes on. I was going to name the teen idol of the moment, but I don't know who it is. Um, I'm a a little bit... Now, I want you to know, I met one once upon a time. Joy and I were in New York. We were in uh, Times Square, and the place was mobbed. There were all of these teenagers and these two little old people in the middle of them, wondering, what's going on? And they all were carrying something. What they were carrying was a CD of Britney Spears because she was there and she was signing and we saw her and we were excited until we read later a little bit more about Britney Spears. And then we'd, but I don't know who the current one is. doesn't really matter. What I do know is that there is one and that young people are making a choice of who it is that has come for them. G.K. Chesterton said, he who does not believe in God will believe in anything. There was a woman named Sheila, I read about her a number of years ago, in the paper. She said, I I believe in God. This is her testimony. I believe in God, um, but I can't remember the last time I was in church. But my faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. I believe in me. Well, I'm reading this in self-help um, books all the time. Adopt yourself as your own deity. But I've known too many people who've done that, and that leads to a dead end. I'm remembering offering the, the invitation at the end of a sermon in the church in Indianapolis I preached in many years ago, and down the aisle toward me came Lee, 52 years old, We'd met before. He was coming to give his life to Jesus. And as he took my hand, he said, all my life, I've done it my way. Now I'm going to do it God's way. Well, he had done it his way, and he'd messed up gloriously. Good mechanic, worked with the Indy 500, was an executive in a business, married, four times, lost his job, because along the way, the deity that he adopted was alcohol, and he was a mess. Now, he didn't know, and I didn't know, when he came forward that Sunday morning, he had two more years to live. That was all. He had so abused himself, worshiping himself, that it was over. I conducted his funeral. All of the pallbearers were members of our church. None of his old drinking buddies were there. None of those that he had played with, had such a good time with, stood by him at the end. But those last two years, he was determined to do it God's way. And he found a new family, as well as a new faith. No Sheila-ism for him, or for me. As for me, I made my choice, too. So what you'll hear from me is Jesus Christ. Well, in the the words of the Apostle Paul, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? 
Well, he's the one who came for me. He's the one who comes for you. And so I try to follow him. There was a fad a few years ago. We wore a wristband with the initials WWJD. Still a good idea. What would Jesus do? What will I do for him? Now, that, that's part of my story today. But the other thing I need to say to you, I'm here because of you. You've convinced me by what you're doing. Joy and I are making a bit of a change in our plans on account of you. Uh, two years ago, when I retired the third time, I, I keep flunking retirement. <laughs> that time, we sold our house. We sold our cars. We gave all of our furnishings, furniture, clothes, everything away to our children and grandchildren. You can imagine how thrilled the grandsons were to get grandpa's clothes, but that's another story. <laughs> everything was gone. And we reduced our holdings to what we could get in two suitcases. This is airline speak. Two suitcases, a carry-on each, and a personal item each. And for two years, that's how we've been living all over the world. We do not own a key to anything. I've got to tell you, it's glory. It's just glory. Um, but that's another story. But so, last time I was here, we had, we had just come from Thailand, stopped off in Honolulu, heading to the mainland, and we were making our plans for the rest of this year when the invitation came to come here. And we threw out our plans to come here. Now, why... Why would two uh, old teenagers who have run away from home, <laughs> why would they come to Hawaii and spend this time with this church? Now, I have to tell you, it isn't because it's Hawaii, although we have a, a Velcro son who says, oh, yes, yes, Roy is suffering for Jesus <laughs> in Hawaii. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to let him come visit. Uh, it's... Um, <laughs> He's already invited himself. No, it's not because of Hawaii. Now, we know about the reputation of Hawaii, but we also know the human race. And we know that, you're, that this is not a paradise. People live here. So you have the normal problems. And in addition to that, I'm too old to surf, too wrinkly to sunbathe. I go cancers. Too stiff to play sand volleyball. Too tired to party. <laughs> so why am I here? It's because of you. It's because when I was here, I've been here off and on over the years, but when I was here last time, my feeling was confirmed. I was impressed, folks, by how you treat each other. I'm impressed by how you responded to the news of Ron's illness and how you have been praying for and caring for him. I've been impressed. I've known this about you. By the way that you reach out beyond these walls, loving and caring and serving where you live, where you work, where you play, like Jesus, you live like you're here to serve and not be served. Now, I, I, I'm confident there are wide divergences of opinion in this congregation. I have some of my own on politics, on religion, on whatever, maybe even the weather. But you're held together by a common faith in the Lord and by a desire to live for Him. You, 
you, you take seriously the fruit of the Spirit. I, I'm going to, the new series I told you about, you gave me the idea. I want to preach through Galatians 5, 22 and 23 on the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to this. I thought of this when I thought of you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, like John's disciples, it's, it's fair to ask of you. Are you the kind of church that displays the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ, or should I look for another? Well, I'm not looking for another. I've had a real joy in life being a preacher. People come to church, and not everybody gives me joy. People come to church with that, that bias I told you about, confirmation bias, looking for what they want to look for. I've disappointed people. My churches over the years have disappointed people because they had... They had things in mind that they wanted. And what I'm talking about right now wasn't what they were after. My, my old preacher told me of a woman in my hometown who, uh, whose husband died. I don't know whether she was a member of the church or not or just a member of the town. I think that was it. He went out to call on her upon the loss of her husband. She met him at the door. He's a bigger man than I am. And she honestly, she pounded on his chest. And said, I hate your God. I hate your God. God had let her down, she thought. Well, I don't hate her God. I don't, certainly don't hate my God. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't been disappointed, discouraged, surprised, hurt by life. My God never promised me a rose garden. He never said that he would act like my personal magician, to take every bad thing away from me. He never did. The God presented in the New Testament, and this passage that we're looking at is a good example, is one who cares, who ministers to, and who shows that love on a cross. He participates in our suffering, brings us all together, as you've been brought together by Ron's news. And so this passage goes on. Good news Good news is proclaimed to the poor. That follows that list of good deeds. Now, this is what I caught on about you. As a church, you want to be good news in a world that has a daily diet of bad news. You want to be good news for the people you know, the people you love, the people you care about, and you want to know and care about more and more. I caught on that this is a church where love and hope and faith abide. And where not only is the front door open, but where you're regularly going out the doors and outside the walls of the church to be the church in this town. I like that. Now, this is a bit surprising to people who are the church's critics. Mostly when people talk about the church, and I just saw it again this morning in the news, mostly when people talk about the church, it is to condemn the church, and mostly for not living up to the standards that the church has taught the world to have. They think that we're, they think that we're bad news because we're, we're against any fun. H.L. Mencken, many years ago, 
wrote, a, a Puritan is someone who is deathly afraid that someone somewhere is having fun. My own happiness in returning to preaching <clears throat> after I had been vice president of a college made this all very clear. As the vice president, I got to do what the president didn't want to do. I was in charge of discipline. So when the students got into trouble, soon or later, they would have to come to my office. I hated that part of my job. And then I got to be a preacher. I left the campus and went to the church. And when people got into trouble, they wanted to come to my office because they knew I was on their side. Not, not that I could take away the consequences of what they had done, but because I wanted them to have life. I wanted them to have a chance. That's the principal difference between being sent to the principal's office in school or to the pastor's study in church. Oh, what I love about the church. I've watched all these years of preaching, and next, <laughs> I should not tell you this. I, next year, I will celebrate my 60th year as an ordained pastor. If you see me falling asleep during my own sermons, you'll understand <laughs> why. <clears throat> so 60 years, I've been watching this phenomenon. I've been watching people come to church for the first time. And you can tell sometimes that it's the first time because they kind of slink in. And they... They slide into the back pew. I wonder about these people back here. <laughs> no. and, and they're checking us out, but they're staying close to the door so that if it gets scary, they can leave. But then I see them come back. They had they'd walked in the first time kind of bent. and You could tell they were discouraged, bothered. But as they come back and come back and come back, you see them standing straighter sitting straighter, leaning forward to hear what that old guy is saying. And if you keep watching them over a period of time, you'll see that they have learned to, to walk again and eventually to dance. I've seen it again and again and again. Well, this brief passage concludes with Jesus' enigmatic remark. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Why would they stumble? I think Jesus does cause people to stumble if they come to him with wrong expectations or to manipulate him to do their bidding. I'll serve you, Jesus, if you'll give me what I want. I think what he means is that if we'll, if we'll just let Jesus be Jesus, let him major in what he came to do, and then help him to do it. We not only won't stumble, but we'll find, as he promised, life abundant, life everlasting. You might have wondered about my title. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. That's an old, old saying. Basically, what it means is you don't know whether the pudding is good until you try it. You don't know that the Christian faith is good until you try it. And you don't know that Jesus is what he claimed to be unless you look at what he did 
and what he is doing in the lives of people. For us today, the proof that Jesus is the promised one is what happens to us and others. When we accept him at his word, do what he tells us to do, sign on as fellow workers with him in caring and loving and serving so that we in fact become corporately the body of Christ. And we are to the world today as the church. When we're the church, we are to the world today what he was when he came so long ago. Let the church be the church.